New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Owning our dreams is an ultimate long game. Your dream may be waking up in the morning to do some kind of work that makes you feel alive, a calling you must do. Or it might be having the ability to work remotely and choose the working hours that align with your natural schedule. Or it may be to publish a book or a blog, create your own clothing line, or start a new career in the field you've always been curious about. Our guest today says it's never too late to explore our innate talents and unearth hidden opportunities. And today we'll be exploring recharging our life in creativity with our guest, Jonas Koffler. Jonas Koffler is a creative media consultant, producer, and writer. He advises internationally recognized thought leaders and creative artists, helps organizations innovate, develop strategy, intellectual properties for startups and billion-dollar companies alike. He's a co-author along with Neil Patel and Patrick Velaskovitz of Hustle, the power to charge your life with money, meaning, and momentum. Join us for the next hours. We explore creating opportunities as we pursue our dreams with our guest, Jonas Koffler. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Jonas, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Justine. It is an absolute pleasure and really an honor as well. Oh, thank you. It's just my pleasure and honor to be sitting right across from you. And I'd love for you to start off with, tell us a little bit about your own background, about possibly when you were on that same freeway that most of us are on, and when you decided to take an exciting off-ramp. So can you describe to us a little of your journey there? Happy to do that. So for me, taking the, uh, the known route or the, the, road less, the road most traveled uh, was not really an option. I always felt somewhat like an outsider uh, looking in, and I actually felt comfortable in that role. Uh, and for me, it was always looking to expand my horizons, pursue my curiosities, and to develop my creative faculties to the point where I would have a confidence uh, and also would be able to choose my own adventure. And so for me, what that means in a very sort of concrete sense is nine to five wasn't really part of that equation. I knew it would be for part of it because I had to figure out how to sustain myself. And there were some interesting apprenticeships along the way. Uh, in the the world of work 
and also in the world of sort of creativity, how would, would I bring my own um, talents and skills to bear on allowing myself to create a life of, of deeper and richer fulfillment? And then beyond that, uh, my, given my spiritual pro- proclivities, um, part of which is my uh, Jewish identity, but also my interest in Eastern mysticism and uh, and Buddhism and, um, and pluralism in general, beautiful aspects of Christianity as well, figuring out how to integrate all of these things and to constantly ask more questions because there's always more questions than answers. And so that's that's been kind of the guiding beacon um, you know, from a navigational standpoint, sort of who am I? So is that know thyself question. Um, where do I see myself going or where do I want to go? And projecting in that direction, there is that manifestation component to that. And then figuring out how to get there. And that's where I think the, the intersection of this book and sort of my life and um, kind of how I see the world, all these things intertwine in a very harmonious way. I'm curious when you say it, it was about the questions you were asking rather than the answers. Have you found that the questions you're asking today are very different from the questions you were asking, let's say, 20 years ago or 10 years ago? There are some similar questions, but I think I've established a foundation so that some of the basic questions uh, around core values, for example, have been uh, answered uh, for example, I know that integrity and uh, having a love for humanity and um, an unwillingness to um, to forgo those things that I hold most dearly and passionate, uh, those are things that won't change. Those are things I had to settle on. And once I gained a level of confidence, I knew they would never change. I think the other questions are, how can I continue to have some kind of impact on my community, uh, on my personal relationships, and on the broader planet? Those are the questions that, that I still will continue to pursue throughout the rest of my life. And those are questions that really orient more toward my legacy, um, if I have one, if I'm lucky enough to have one. Uh, so, so those are more the, sort of the deeper level. But the, the foundational questions, have, I think, were, were, were satisfied in, let's say, my first 30 years. And then beyond that, um, it is, you know, still there are a lot of unknowns in life. Um, and so keeping an openness and a curiosity um, and a willingness to, to to continue exploring those questions, I I don't know right now. Uh, so I'm sure that I, I'll continue to add uh, you know into that big bucket um, the the new things. You mentioned curiosity twice now, uh-huh. so that's a big deal, I think, uh, and something. Uh, you know, I've known I've known myself at different times when I thought, okay, I've arrived. I I found the truth now, and I can just kind of set up my tent right here. <laughs> and then I was blessed, and I call it blessed, with the being knocked off of that, that side of the mountain and, and pushed beyond that and opened up to, to an a bigger realm, or I might describe it as that. So part of that is like this keeping ourselves curious. So what advice do you have to help us stay curious? Because it's it's hard to to not know. We want to know the one thing. I would answer that by saying, I think each of us is on a quest, is on a journey. Uh, without sounding too cliche, sometimes we forget that, and it requires some kind of slap in the face in the universe. In my case, um, you know, it was having a stroke when I was in my twenties, 
which was a huge awakening or reawakening or repurposing of energy. Um, for others, it might be depression or uh, dealing with family issues or you know other other important questions about you know why how am I planning to spend my time in this life on the planet? You know what is my contribution? Um, how can I cultivate my talents and so forth? We all have their, our own um, lens of looking at the world, right? So I think for me, um, it is allowing myself to have a flexibility and to see the world every day as a blank canvas and a canvas that I'll fill. Uh, you know, I'll fill it intellectually. I will fill it spiritually. I will fill it through my entrepreneur, entrepreneurial pursuits. I will fill it uh, through relationships. I will fill it through uh, any possible means or avenues. And that requires an energetic commitment, a conscious psychological effort to saying, I'm going to stay open regardless of, of how I'm feeling today. I'm going to stay open to possibility. And so that's going to lead me down a path to having meetings with hopefully remarkable people um, to what my wife called cositas, which are the little things in life, right? Those little breakthroughs are little moments of gratitude when you can have that, that exchange of kindness or um, an exchange of a, a thought or an idea that might send you in a new direction or a new way of thinking about the world or perhaps bring a new opportunity into your life. We write about luck in the book. And I think that you know, my theory is that luck is actually something that's sort of deeply in the bone marrow uh, and even beyond that in our DNA, it's, it's, it's encoded there you know, in that spiral, that beautiful, perfect spiral of DNA. And there's something that happens there, something that happened, I think, many eons ago uh, where people started to trust themselves and they started to trust that sense, that you know, intuitive sense that I'm making the best decision right now. And if not, perhaps there's some serendipitous event that'll come of it. And I've, I'm a true believer in that. And so this idea that we can manifest uh, the outcomes we want in the world, we can choose who we become, that is a reflection of that. It's a reflection of saying, I am going to be courageous, right? We, and in the book, we want to encourage people to be courageous, to make those choices that most people won't make, to allow themselves that, that unconventional space to operate. Part of that, again, is the curiosity. Part of that is saying, I'm going to remain open. My life is a blank canvas and I can restart every day. So Jonas, are you saying that we can create our own luck? I am very much saying that. <laughs> and to unpack that, we have sort of four components of the luck. And this is based on uh, the work of Dr. James Austin, who was at Stanford for many years. But the way that we've sort of um, formulated our lexicon is, Luck is, uh, one, a random event, a chance event. You're driving into the supermarket uh, parking lot uh, on a very busy Saturday uh, before Thanksgiving, let's say, the week before, and, and you're trying to get all of your shopping done. And uh, there's a line of cars, and magically, a spot opens for you. Uh, that's a random event. It's a chance event. And all of us have access to that and have experienced that at some point in our lives. So that's very basic luck, the chance. The second level of luck is what we call hustle luck. Hustle luck is an energetic luck. It's a luck of movement or motion. And it requires us taking some physical action to move ourselves from point A to point B. And often that luck happens in between. So we can't see it coming, but when it happens, man, does that feel great. So is that like um, you, you have to kind of rub shoulders with life in order to tap into that one. You can't just sit in your armchair in your, your room uh, and expect that one to come to you. It's a luck that requires direct experience, direct action, 
So there has to be a, an ignition piece there. Uh, if we sit back and are passive observers, meaning we can't meditate all the time, we actually have to get up and do something very simply. And there's a balance there. There's nothing wrong with sort of sitting and being mindful and observing. But um, for this type of luck to unfold, for us to be able to take hold of it uh, and to leverage it in our lives, we have to be in motion. So it's just like Laura and I coming here to the studio. And that's your wife. Yes, my wife, my beautiful wife of 10 years. Thank you, Laura. Um, coming to the studio and being able to interact with you today and look you in the eyes and be able to, to share our story and our wisdom, um, that's luck. How can it not be anything else? So that's the second level, right? And where it goes, we don't know. Um, but perhaps we launch the next great nonprofit and change the world and have some kind of profound impact the rest of our lives just from this conversation. That can happen, right? So there's a trust there and a confidence that I've developed over the years. That's My journey has brought me to this point. And I can talk more about the backstory, but, but that's the second level of luck. The third level of luck is, is a little more sophisticated, a little more nuanced. And that luck is called um, <laughs> hidden luck. It's the hidden luck, the unknown luck. It's really a luck that involves creative synthesis and pattern recognition. It's seeing two disparate things and being able to find the connection or the connective tissue, the connection points, the things that uh, bring these ideas together. We're going to talk about the next one, too, in just one moment, mm -hmm. so that you've talked about three of them. We'll go to the fourth one in just one moment. But I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Jonas Koffler. He's the co-author of Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, jonaskoffler.com. He spells his last name K-O-F-F-L-E-R, jonaskoffler.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Jonas Koffler, and he's the co-author, along with Neil Patel and Patrick Valeskovitz, of the book Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. And we're talking about luck. So you've mentioned three kinds of luck. Mm -hmm. And there was another one that you wanted to mention. I think it's quirky luck. Quirky luck, oh, right. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun type of luck. This is a luck that uh, is expressed in our individuality. It's a luck that we're all endowed with at birth. And it's in some ways, it, it is an expression of our uniqueness. It's what we bring to the world each and every day, uh, not by aping or modeling someone else, but by being our own authentic selves. And so this, is, <laughs> this I think, uh, is the luck that 
might be most overlooked, believe it or not. But this is, is funny. It's a luck that attracts us to like-minded people um, because I think it's, it's not necessarily the similarities that bring us together. It, that's sort of the obvious. Sometimes it's the differences that are attractive. It's that magnetic component, right? Mm-hmm. That says, wow, that's a person I should probably talk to. Right. They, they look different or strange or whatever it might be. Uh, and that's certainly true of my life. I, I generally look for those differences and say, you know, what might this person have to share with me? Right. Didn't I remember reading a story about you being on an airplane and and being stuck in that middle seat and oh that's so tough but that was kind of, that was the kind of luck you were talking about. Can you describe that moment? Absolutely. So I, I in fact would would uh, assert that that's a combination of luck. But but I'll tell you, no one likes to be sandwiched between uh, two folks on a, on an airplane, especially when they haven't slept in a while. And that was my case. <laughs> so I uh, was flying from Austin to San Francisco uh, to work on a film project. My dear friend and another business partner, uh, Ross McKenzie, with whom I developed a, a startup in the, the mental health space. Um, but uh, on that day, uh, I got on the plane and I was sitting next to uh, two gentlemen, one a sort of a large square-jawed linebacker type who was already fast asleep when I got on the plane and the other uh, leaned over to me and said, hey, I'm David Wilk. Uh, I'm a comedian. Uh, usually, you know, I, I introduce myself and go to sleep. Uh, so tell me about yourself before I, I go to sleep. I said, sure, I'm Jonas. Uh, <laughs> I'm a media consultant. And I do a number of things. I'm actually authoring a book and I'm going to work on a film project. He said, interesting. I'm an actor as well. And by the way, our comedy show, Four Day Weekend, uh, is the longest running uh, comedy show and improv sketch comedy show in the country, at least in the Southwest, other than Second City. Um, and we said, well, well, that's interesting. I'd love to hear more about you and sort of your philosophy on life, which is you know the yes and philosophy, uh, you're creating collaborative experience and uh, turning you know the negative into a positive, and there's no wrong answers, and there's just lower and, and higher percentage choices. Which is and so all forth. The, the improv sort of stuff. Fascinating. Yeah, it is like the Jedi is if, if there was a form of the Force in the universe, and there are several. This one shined through in a way that he started talking. I started seeing lightsabers and. I was envisioning Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and this whole Star Wars universe. Like, this is fascinating, right? So quirky luck. Next thing you know, Frank Ford, who was sitting next to us, also an incredibly a dynamic, award-winning writer and actor and comedian, <laughs> he uh, wakes up and says, hey, we should talk. We went on for three hours without literally taking a breath. And it, it was almost like time travel. You ever had that experience where you're, you've just met someone that you feel like you've known for, for many lifetimes? It was that kind of connection. Um, so there was a, a purely a human connection. There was a creative connection. There was a quirkiness connection because these guys are not only hilarious, but they have their own very unique personalities. I say even sub-personalities in there. And you need those if you're a comic uh, to function. And so there's a lot to unpack and, and exchange and share. And we hit it off like nobody's business. They were fascinated with me. I was fascinated by them. And since then, we've been working together now for two and a half years. They are working on their own book. They're doing a, a number of other, there's a TV pilot in the works and they're, you know, they're performing all over the country and all over the world. They just got back from doing a USO tour. They're just exceptional human beings and they, you know, they work with companies all over and really change uh, the way that companies work and how they operate. So what I'm hearing, Jonas, is it wasn't just a conversation you had, however wonderful that was, that those three hours just transported you. There was some sort of follow-up. 
that you didn't just get off the plane and say, okay, nice meeting you, goodbye. So that's one of the keys too, isn't it? Um, Something about following through or following up. Can you say something about that? There is a pursuit component to hustle. So, you know, hustle coming from the old Middle Dutch uh, word hutzelen, meaning to shake. This pursuit idea is shaking free of the old or shaking free of any uh, self-limiting friction and opening up to the new. So now we're going back into that infinite blank organic canvas that you can create every day. That conversation was an expression and an expansion layer into this great unknown, which is about human connection and human relationships driven by luck that led us to working together. There was an implicit trust that formed there, right? Knowing that we all bring interesting talents to the table and together we could create something uh, even more powerful than if we were to do it by ourselves. So what I'm also hearing too, Jonas, is that that um, there's an initial like creative momentum that is started. And to ride that momentum, uh, talk about riding that momentum. <laughs> Happy to do that. So in the book, we talk about the three unseen laws of hustle, you know, those, those which are left overlooked. The first of which is do something that moves you. So why do something that moves you? Do something that moves you as opposed to being static or stuck. So it's simple laws of physics, right? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. So, it's the, so that's, the, that's the, the impetus there. That's the ignition piece. Uh, and the idea is to choose to do those things. You might not have the perfectly formed answer yet, and that's okay. Choose to do those things that put you in motion to explore the curiosity, to question the unknown, that which you don't know about yourself. Know thyself. Give yourself energy, imbue yourself with some, some degree of enthusiasm. Uh, you know, try to look at the world through the, the lens of the entrepreneur right? Something out of nothing. You're constantly creating something out of nothing. We do that every day. That's what the universe is, is it not? Mm. So that's the, the, do something that moves you. Set your heart in motion. That's the first layer of hustle as we define it. Why? Because it starts with the heart. You have to start here in the center, right? And then you can get into questions around your head, which is, which maps to the second unseen law of hustle, uh, which is to keep your head up and look for opportunity or listen for opportunity, so you, once you set yourself in motion, the next requirement or responsibility that you carry is to keep your head up and look for opportunity because we're surrounded, we're basking, or bathing in this wonderful universe of opportunity and is lifting the blinders and, and looking almost, and from a 360 degree standpoint, you know, our eyes in the back of our head and ears in every direction because it's out there and people need help. And there are so many ways to contribute to the world positively, whether you're helping a company or a nonprofit or an individual, or you're you know, creating the next big startup that you know, transforming a technology that changes the world, that's there. And then the next layer of that, so you're, once you're in motion, you're looking for opportunity, is the simple idea of sealing the deal and making it real, meaning taking your concept or your idea or your relationship or conversation and turning it into a concrete possibility or contract or a transaction. That's the, the commerce level of it. That's just the start of a very little thing. It doesn't have to be fully formed. That's right. Exactly. So you don't have to know where you're going. You just need to put yourself in motion. And that is going to lead you to a place where you've developed some degree of confidence. And so, that will bring you together and give you a sense of what we, what we call, you know, that the sealing the deal and making it real. Like that delivering yourself to the next, if you will, the next plateau. And then you continue building on top of that. One of the AA precepts of that is taking the next indicated step. Mm -hmm. That's all we have to do is just that 
one connected next step, and we don't have to know the, the full journey of it. I want to I want to mention, and I'd love for you uh, love for you to talk. Uh, there was a you mentioned in the book uh, the wonderful uh, experience of uh, Nirvan Mulek. Mm-hmm. What I loved about his story is he found himself in this little auto parts store, and there was this nine year old kid who had just made up through boxes just cardboard boxes, this whole arcade of of different things that he just made up out of his own imagination and little little toy cars and little toy things and he called it Kane's Arcade. And anybody can look that up on the on the YouTube, Kane's Arcade. What I I really loved about this story and I want you to talk about it is that all of these people came through this store and walked right by this little arcade that he was charging, you know, a dollar if you if you if you want to play the games, uh, and nobody nobody did it except for Nivan. And he stopped. He, there was something about he could appreciate the imagination of this child. He noticed. He was awake. His eyes were open. And he noticed his heart. I, that's my description of it. He noticed his heart went boom, boom, whoa. He was, his, he took a breath. I mean, he took his breath away. Uh, can you say something about that? Because it's such a great story. Yes, I love to. And I agree with you. It's a profound story of curiosity, imagination, but also love, a love for this child's creation. Uh, life is often about the things left unnoticed, and certainly opportunity is as well. And I think Nirvan, uh, being an artist and having developed an eye that's different from most people who aren't artists, that allowed him to see uh, the to see a potential there that many people overlooked in in Kane's genius. I mean, literally a genius kid who could construct this universe, this architecture out of cardboard. Who would think to do that, right? And uh, while he's sitting, you know, uh, with his father who owns this, uh, you know, struggling auto parts uh, shop on the east side of LA and so forth. Uh, and so it was an example, I think, not only uh, sort of hustle luck, but also there's a hidden luck component to it. And there's also a quirky luck component to it. So there's this layering or stacking of possibilities there. And for Nirvan, like intersecting and finding this incredible muse in Kane and saying, not only is this exceptional or extraordinary, remarkable what he's doing, this needs to be shared and seen and heard and appreciated by other people. Why? Because it's important that our children are cherished, not only that, but we encourage others to do the same, uh, to use their imagination, to, uh, to explore their possibilities, working with their hands and working with their minds, and then bringing all these hearts together. And so it's, it's an extraordinary story. You know, Kane's Arcade, it went viral. Uh, and it led not only to incredible things for Nirvana, but for Kane as well. Nirvana created this incredible foundation called the Imagination Foundation, which partners with Disney and other um, organizations. And who's the ambassador? The ambassador is Kane. <laughs> so if you think about that, it's those little things. You know, had for example, had Nirvana said, you know what? That's beautiful, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm just going to get my auto parts thing. I'm going to stay in my I'm in a, with the, I'm the blindness. I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. That's right. I don't have time for this. I'm a busy artist. No, his eyes were open. 
He was looking for opportunity. He was looking for something, right? A muse, some inspiration. Again, keep that canvas open. You never know where you're going to find it tucked away in hidden corners or an auto parts store at a donut shop, you know, <laughs> on a hike. <laughs> you never know when it's going to strike you. And that's the beauty of the world we're living in today. And it's important that we remind ourselves that we have to stay open, we have to listen, we have to learn, and we have to look. I'm here with Jonas Koffler. He's the co-author of Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Jonas Koffler, and he's the co-author of Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. Let's talk about the word. You and your co-authors use the word hustle. Now, that's kind of a word that that puts off people in some ways. I mean, it, it does kind of like hustle. Wait a minute. I'm not a hustler. I don't want to be hustled. So wh- why hustle? Well, as a, a linguist uh, and sort of a, a cultural anthropologist to some degree, I think uh, in the three of us, we were trying to find a, an effective way to describe the undercurrent in our sort of creative uh, economy, if you will, uh, and more broadly, kind of where the world is um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint and, and a personal innovation standpoint. So how do you do that? How do you find a good idea? Where do good ideas come from? And what words are the anchors to those good ideas? What's the language of that idea? Uh, and so what we started doing was social listening. So social listening, interpersonal listening, uh, you know, by sort of atmospheric absorbing words and, and trying to write down and listen to and study um, frequency of language. And you can also do that online as well in um, the social world uh, through algorithmic searches and so forth. The word that we kept hearing, or at least that we were attuned to, was this word hustle, because it was ubiquitous. We would hear it from students, we would hear it from coworkers, we would hear it from entrepreneurs and executives, uh, creative artists, and so forth. Everyone had some kind of hustle going, or they were hustling, and, they, and we weren't really sure what that meant. But since it was used so often, we thought, well, maybe that's a lens or a, a gateway or a door into a deeper understanding of this undercurrent. So it's fine. Let's let's unplug that a little bit. And if you look at the uh, etymology of the word, so hutzelin, this the middle old Middle Dutch word, uh, it literally means to shake. I thought, huh, that's interesting. Hustle to shake. I don't think when we hear people saying the word, they're they're meaning they're indicating that they want to shake, but maybe they are. And so that's that question layer. Like, okay, well, if what are they? How are they shaking? What they're shaking up is either some sense of accomplishment, the sense of identity, who they are and where they want to go. Um, and so we, we started looking at it from different lang- angles. There's a goal setting piece and this idea of this drive, personal drive and ambition, uh, a curiosity and creativity piece. And then this idea that we can, as individuals, shake things up to set ourselves free. So that's, if that's what hustle means, let's explore that a little further. 
Traditionally, uh, at least in the last century, hustle evolved from a word meaning to steal or to con. There were negative connotations. There's a stigma around it. It's a dirty word. And then it, it evolved even further into, you know, sort of today's parlance again, which is uh, this idea of persistence or putting your head down, uh, making your way on your own terms and through your own rules and so forth. We said, okay, let's take that and let's redefine it. And so we did that. They said, the hustle is this. So hustle means decisive movement toward a goal, however indirect. Okay, so there's movement, but it doesn't have to be point A to point B. And that's a very important distinction uh, from others who might interpret the word as putting your head down and running through a wall. It doesn't mean that. It's a little more subtle and nuanced. So decisive movement toward a goal, however indirect, by which the motion itself surfaces luck, hidden opportunity, and then charges or empowers our life with more money, meaning, and momentum. Right? So there's a lot uh, to that word. And the way we define it, we think, is a more accurate reflection of people's true intention when they express the word. Well, very nicely done. Uh, what That just reminds me, what are some of the ways that, that we are stopped from shaking free? Because uh, that, that's, that's a big one. There, there are many... I love it. Yeah, shake free. But that, how do we get over the momentum of or the inertia of just sitting still? Well, let's let's think of this sort of broadly. Uh, we are, a, especially in sort of Western society, in a, in a place where we have more stuff than we could ever want. We are bombarded by the media. Uh, most of that message is a fear-based message, not a love-based message. We're seeing a few real challenges. For example, number one is. Uh, this, especially in the workplace, a sense of disengagement or dissatisfaction. And if you look at the Gallup data from a couple of years ago that we were using as our metric, 90, upwards of 90% of the workforce, not only in the U.S. or Canada, globally, is disengaged or dissatisfied with the work they're doing, meaning either they've making, made the wrong choice for maybe monetary reasons uh, or because they were told that that was the best path or plan for them, um, and they feel, therefore feel stuck. The other issues are, um, you know, for example, the debt load, especially among our younger generation where the cost of school, university has skyrocketed. And this, you know, we're talking about a trend that really happened in the early 2000s and driven by, you know, some degree legislation and other degree, people opting in to say, okay, well, we'll, we'll pay that much. It's, uh, an education is based that. Well, is it really worth it when you're graduating? And I think it was 2015, 2014 data the U.S. graduate, on average, carried $35,000 of debt just getting out the door of school for undergraduate, not graduate, by the way, more for graduate. So now we've got this disengagement level at the workplace, this debt level right out of school. Then you have, if you look about emotional health and wellness, one in four people, maybe one in three people, depending on where you are regionally, has some kind of mood or depressive disorder. That's another big D. That's a huge problem. It's a great shame. We need to deal with that, right? And then beyond that, we've got distribution of income, distribution of wealth issues. It's never been higher historically. So we have all of these serious factors that we need to deal with as a society in a meaningful way and talk about uh, and not demonize, but say, okay, look, these are the realities of the world we live in. Uh, if we're talking just about the US, it's different. If we look globally, there are even more concerns, simply you know, hunger and uh, and poverty and so forth You know, to huge extremes. So 
so for us, it's like, you know, let's look at all these problems and let's deal with them. Now. Getting off of our armchair and getting on with it. If we know that there are those types of realities out there in the world at large. Or even in our own life. Now let's talk about the internal. Mm-hmm. All right. And know ourselves. And those navigational questions that we started with. Who am I? Where do I want to go? How do I get there? Well, the first thing is breaking free of self-imposed friction. That may be fear-based, a lack of courage, a sense that we're not worth it or worthy. We might not have um, developed the skill set or think we have the skill set. We may not believe in our talents, whether we were told we were not good enough or that we can't do it, or we simply haven't pursued or given ourselves the flexibility to again explore that canvas, right? To shake things up. So the first thing we want to do is a very simple practice. I liken it to being... (laughs) In the temple of doing, it's a daily ritual. And I think rituals are very important for us as individuals and also as communities. It's called the 10-minute rule. It's not the 10,000-hour rule. It's a very simple practice, the 10-minute rule. So what does that mean? That means that every day we wake up or wherever we are, happen to be during the day, we allow ourselves the non-judgmental path of doing, okay? And in choosing that path for 10 minutes alone, <laughs> We find we can be purposeful, we can be productive, right? And we can be persistent in our pursuits. So it could be, again, something very, very small. So for Nirvan, if we're going back to that example, it was getting in his car, it was driving for 10 minutes, let's say, arriving at Kane's Arcade and using that second unseen law of hustle, right? Keep your head up and look for opportunities. Well, that led him to that interaction with Kane. And we know what happened after that. And we can see that 10 million people saw his video and now he's doing a movie with Disney. For, for the individual, the important thing that, that we like to stress as authors to folks is that opportunity is out there for you. You have to put yourself in a, a path without judgment and without over planning, right? Life is what happens when you're busy planning. So, so like if what you're saying is, and you, you said, um, I know Malcolm Gladwell has talked about the 10,000 hours to, to master anything. So we've kind of been downloaded with that. Oh, if I want to be good at anything, I've got to put in 10,000 hours to be good at it. But you're saying something quite different, Jonas. I am, and and we are collectively, and that is to say, it's it's. Look, Gladwell is a brilliant writer and storyteller. Um, yes, and, he is, and he's earned his chops. And Absolutely. sure, he's put his ten thousand hours in, but it's not required for everyone to put their ten thousand hours in to find some modicum of success. The most important thing is just to get moving. The hardest thing is to start anything in the in the world. The second hardest thing is to finish it. But you don't need ten thousand hours to start something, Justine. Well, I can give you an example in my own life. Um, busy, busy, busy. I mean, I just, I decided for myself, okay, every Saturday morning, I'm going to have my cup of coffee. I'm addicted to coffee. And even before I get dressed, I'm going to sit down and give myself one hour to work on my book. That's all. I'm going to do that. Just one hour a week, every Saturday morning. I I wrote that down. I wrote down that commitment. And I was shocked by just making that commitment, how quickly that book started to come into being. I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just astounded. And, and I, I look back at it, look backwards and say, my gosh, all I did was make that decision 
and just take that step toward that commitment. And it happened so fast. So that's what you're talking about, aren't you? Just that, just making those steps. I am, and I would argue that um, you know, philosophically, you know, we can say that um, that life is the the architect of time, and you know, time, our time in, in the world is kind of this architecture that we reflect by the things we've done and the things we haven't done. In your case, it was making again that conscious psychological commitment to writing a book, which is uh, a formidable task and terrifying for most people. Oh, it was for me. I never thought I could ever do it. Right. I had a desire to do it, but that's But you allowed it. yourself to do it. And that's the important thing about moving away from this idea of uh, what we call the perils of perfection or the madness of mastery, i.e. the 10,000 hours idea, that you have to sit and play the violin for X amount of hours every day for five, 10 years to have to establish any level of credibility or competence. We also know this, and this is very important. Each of us is endowed with a level of talent or an application of, of talent that differs from the person sitting next to us. When we're in the classroom as children, uh, we're taught that we're, we're all equal and uh, we all have the same talents and so forth. And the reality is that some of us are much more gifted in certain things than others. And we all have our own unique gifts the challenge for us, and this is again back to this premise of hustle, shaking free from that which we know and finding that the unknown um, that will drive us through success is to allow ourselves to explore those things where we might actually have some talent in, uh, but you'll never know by sitting back and not doing anything. So you have to get out of that mentality to get unstuck and to do something that moves you, or at least try something. Um, otherwise, you get you know locked in this insidious pitfall or trap where you can't do anything. So. While Gladmel will have will have his mantra and he'll ride that off into the sunset around 10,000 hours in every company and everyone around the world who's read Outliers may believe that, what we know is that, that science has, has roundly rejected it and debunked it. What is your advice? We'll go into this in just a moment. What is your advice in our discovering that innate talent we might have. So we'll go into that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Jonas Koffler. He is the co-author of Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Jonas Koffler. He's the co-author with Neil Patel and Patrick Valetskovitz of Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, 
meaning and momentum. And Jonas, we're talking about, we're just starting to explore our, that innate talent that we were born with, that we have this ability. How do we uncover that? How do we unpack that? How do, what advice do you have for us to help that to surface in our life? This story of our life and, and sort of what we're to become is this idea of taking a little risk and placing some small bets on ourselves, what we call adaptive resilience. And we talk about this in the book at length. Um, the, the difference between who you are now and who, where you want to go or who you are and who you are to become is this idea, this hustle layer. And that is about realizing your potential by making small bets on the small pursuits that you choose. They are the manageable bets, not huge seismic shifts. There are subtle things that you do every day. Again, if it's just the 10-minute rule that we talked about in a bit, that's one layer, putting yourself in a temple of doing so you can be a little more productive, persistent every day and allow your space without judgment just to do a few small things. I just Those want to pause, pause mm-hmm. it just because you say it really fast, the yes. temple of the our- The temple of doing. Yeah. And this is a time that you can repeat, right? Yeah. So if you're if you're focused, if you're in, for in, in your case, for example, if you're working on the show or if you're developing your next book or your next project, that's the sign that you want. It may not be a physical sign. If you want a physical sign, that's wonderful, but you don't need it. The idea is to trust yourself and give yourself the space to create and to to pursue, Okay. Now, in terms of surfacing your talents, there are a number of um, devices or uh, uh, tactics or things that you can do every day. Uh, And the frame that we use is what we call ESP in the book. (laughs) So ESP is derived from this idea of Allenisms. Woody Allen says that, you know, 80% or 90% of success is just showing up. All you have to do is show up. Okay, well, if you've shown up, then let's talk about the difference between being successful and being unsuccessful. We've broken it down to not the um, like you know, telekinesis or uh, being able to read your mind per se or read the mind of someone else. Instead, it's ESP. E is for experiments. S is for storytelling. P is for persuasion. Those are three absolutely essential tools that you can use and Ex- develop and harness. Experiment. So, so experiments, actually storytelling. So being able to relate ideas to people in interesting ways that they remember. And then persuasion, being able to pitch ideas and put yourself out there. So that develops that self-confidence capacity right? And give yourself agency. So anyone can run a small experiment. You don't need to, you need not be uh, Albert Einstein for that matter, or Marie Curie. Instead, think about the small, the little subtle things you can do every day that break your routine and allow you to explore something in a new way. So it could be a choice of language that you use in interacting with someone, maybe how you engage them, your energy, how you smile. Uh, it could be asking for a new challenge if you work for someone else, if you're in a corporate environment, or if you're an entrepreneur pursuing something in a new way, maybe looking at it unconventionally, like what would everyone do? And maybe there's another way to to sort of get around to a solution. So it's creative problem solving. That's what experiments are about. Now, you did this. You had a personal experience with this. You talked about in the very beginning of the program, you said very quickly in your 20s, you had a stroke. Mm-hmm. That's really a powerful game changer right there yes. in your early 20s. You certainly don't expect to be there. And so you use this technique to, to really start to heal yourself, didn't you? I did. And, and frankly, I had no choice but to, <laughs> to, to try to figure out um, how I could potentially repair my mind uh, and also acknowledge that I was not the person that I used to be. There had been a, a, a great divergence or shift or bifurcation. Now I was going to become someone else. 
And I think that maps this idea of allowing ourselves the space to navigate every day. Dan Gilbert talks about this uh, phenomenon called the, the end of history illusion. If you're familiar or unfamiliar, the basic premise is this. We are, we are who we think we are, not knowing that we are actually changing every day. And we get to a certain point in life, whether we're in our 20s or 30s or 40s, and we say, you know what, we've learned everything we can learn. We know who we are, and therefore we're not going to change that much. And the reality is that the Jonas talking to you today is vastly different from the Jonas who would be talking to you 20 years ago, pre-stroke, or even at the point of stroke, past the point of stroke, or five, 10 years ago. And the Jonas who will be hopefully talking with you in 10, 15 years, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, is going to be vastly different. So we're constantly evolving. We need to acknowledge that on the one hand. The other hand is to say, wow, that's fascinating. I'm constantly evolving and growing, right? Back to this premise of know thyself. Again, those navigational questions that lead us to uh, the person that we think we want to become. We don't know what that is. And that's why it's more important to say, what can I do rather than why can I do it? We don't have a fully formed, perfect idea, the perfect reason or rationale per se, other than the desire for making some kind of contribution to ourselves and hopefully to other people as well. So does this? what does this have to do with surfacing our innate uh, talents? It has everything to do with it because if we don't allow ourselves that space to move forward, to ask the questions, to explore the pursuits that we want to explore, to run those small experiments every day, again, looking for opportunity, staying in motion, sealing the deal, we'll never know, right? So when we lock ourselves into a narrow or what we call learn blindness path, where we are renting our realities from someone else, the script that they give us, come to work every day, do these tasks, go home and repeat for the next 50 years and call it a life. Well, no. I, I'm thinking of Seligman's uh, experiment mm -hmm. with dogs, and that's that learned helplessness. That's right. Where Can you describe those experiments? Yeah. In, in a nutshell, um, there were, there were uh, three, three groups. There's a control group. Uh, there was a second group, experimental, and there's the variable group. And, and what happened was uh, two of the groups were essentially taught that they could escape. The third group was set up with a probe. Poor dogs. They were shocked. Oh. <laughs> and they couldn't control, uh, they couldn't stop the shocking. Although they had a narrow path that they could jump through to get out, to escape. That group of dogs never showed the, either the courage or the, the desire to move on. And so they allowed or accepted that their fate was one of being uh, abused, essentially. So this is what we can look at our own lives and say, okay, where am I not jumping out of that box? <laughs> where does the opening, where? where does it exist? And will we allow ourselves the space to jump through it? All right. And, it, and that's the leap that we need to make. I certainly do that in my own life. Obviously you have as well. And it, that, that, that idea of empowerment and encouragement is, that exists for all of us, regardless of your situation. We all have all sorts of adversities that we can learn from, but there's always that opening. We need to allow ourselves not only the opportunity to move through it, but to also be patient with ourselves, to strive for longevity. It's not going to happen overnight. Certainly for these poor dogs, they felt trapped there, but there is always another way out. And when we see that and we recognize it and we realize it, that opens up the sense of ownership that is so important to us as individuals, us to us as a society, but also this, it, it imbues us with a sense of um, ultimately what's really important in life, which is to allow ourselves to explore what we think the world is and what we and that unknown territory of um, possibility. And then that that takes us back to like 
meaning. I mean, it gives our life, it just, it, it, it technicolors our life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, just the possibilities start to flower. Yeah, it's polychromatic, right? We're not, you know, sort of one-dimensional automatons moving through life uh, or robotic for that matter. Some of us may feel like that. I certainly at one point felt like that. And it co- created all sorts of cognitive dissonance. The way and to- then it's so, so attractive. We are more attractive than really, literally attractive. We attract than when we're like that, is my experience. I would agree. And, and, and I think it's an important point. You know, if we talk about there's that what piece, and we all have to be engaged in that what, it's doing something that moves you. Again, starting with the very simple, that circle, like the first unseen law. Moving forward on some in some small way every day and allowing ourselves the the, the, the opportunity to do that, and then the, the broader idea of surfacing talents and constantly growing is this framework that we call POP, the Personal Opportunity Portfolio. So we're trying to explore um, how can any individual, in a very simple way, grow, how we can rapidly raise or accelerate our perceived value as individuals in the world, as contributors. Uh, or creators said, so, "Well, why don't we why don't we think about that and let's divide it into buckets?" So the first one is all around human potential, right? That is the growth the growth arc of learning, all right, doing. The second one, and so there's the opportunity of capability. The second one is what we call um, the people layer, the opportunity of community, and this is where your interactions are so important. The collisions you make every day, the conversations you have, and listening for opportunity, and contributing to other people's lives or to companies and so forth. Uh, and then the, the third piece of that is fascinating layer. It's the opportunity of creativity. It's the project layer. So we've gone from the potential layer to the people layer to the project layer. And that leads us, if we think about Nirvan's case, to the most important, which is- uh, The proof. The proof layer. And the proof layer is all about constructing credibility. It's being able to say, I created New Dimensions Radio. Right. Or I've written this best-selling book or I am creating the next great nonprofit, and this is what it looks like. It lives online, and these are people I work with, and you can ask them about the good that we're doing, uh, or whatever your, uh, your impetus might be, or the motivation might be. You've created this legacy piece, and if you stack it up and think about it, again, sort of architecturally, is um, this wonderful matrix that um, is a reflection of your time spent in the world. So people can really go through this in detail when they pick up the book, Hustle. Uh, so I encourage people to do that because it takes take some time to reflect on, on that whole process that you've developed uh, with your coworkers there. Jonas, I want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions today. Thank you so much, Justine. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been speaking with Jonas Koffler. He's the co-author, along with Neil Patel and Patrick Velaskovitz, of Hustle, The Power to Charge Your Life with Money, Meaning, and Momentum. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, jonaskoffler.com. And he spells his last name K-O-F-F-L-E-R, jonaskoffler.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3600. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. 
please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can subscribe to our weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.